Okay, back to Romans chapter 8. Let's, uh, we're going to finish up verse 8 tonight. And um, we took the fall to uh, handle eight verses. Let, Let me, again, guys, this is for your benefit. I hope it's beneficial for you. Because we're separated by a week, people forget, well, guys, what's this all about? I forget what we talked about last week. And so I'm just trying to refresh your memory and so that we can make progress and add to what we've already been chatting over. Romans 8, verse 1, opens up with this glorious promise of safety. It opens up with a verse that many of you memorized, if you were ever a part of Scripture memory. There is, therefore, now no condemnation uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so the the great theme of this chapter is just that. No condemnation. And that great um, uh, uh, offer is extended to all who are in Christ, says verse 1. Um, But that offer is not extended to those who are not in Christ. So to to lay hold of its comforts when one is not in Christ is um, would be soul killing. Because it would be presumptuous to assume that uh, that no condemnation applies to me when it in fact does not. And so. What Paul begins in verses 5 through 8, and we'll continue it really through verse 13, but substantially uh, in verses 5 through 8, he is comparing uh, two sets of people. That is, uh, uh, one group who has no right to lay claim to um, no condemnation, but the other group that does have a right and should lay claim. What we, 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 we did is we said... Um, We looked at verses 5 through 8, and we made a list of people who uh, should not not claim um, the promise of of 8-1 being no condemnation. And Paul Paul describes those, and he he mentions that there is a fleshly-mindedness. Gosh, I'm having trouble spelling. Um, A fleshly-mindedness. We talked about that at length. A mindedness. Um, another thing that's mentioned is that there was a hostile to, a hostility to God. Um, <laughs> there we go. Hostility to God. The, the, the word is mentioned that they are dead. Um, that they are, in fact, this is mentioned twice in verses 6 and verse 8, that uh, the word, the, the emphasis is cannot. Um, it's in, uh, yes, uh, no, it's in 7 and 8. Uh, they do not subject themselves to the law of God, nor uh, indeed can they. Or, and then that is repeated in verse 8. There is an, there is an inability um, because of being dead. There is an inability to, to change the heart that, they, uh, that, that dominates them. Um, there is a, and we talked about this at length last week, they are not subject to God's law. Um, and then, and then finally, that uh, verse, as verse eight says, um, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. They are dis. 
pleasing. Now, this is, I'm trying to sum up all of this, describes those who cannot make any claim of this great promise of of chapter 1, of verse 1. But in those same four verses, Paul also describes another group of people who can lay claim uh, to that great promise. And interestingly, there's a lot of um, uh, contrast and comparison, but they, they can claim. And the first thing that he says, which is really the, the opposite of the, um, of the other category, he says in verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those people described in that way have no right to this. But, says verse 5, those who live according to the Spirit, um, there's some words that are assumed in here. I'm going to provide those words, although they won't be found in your text. They are assumed. You You can see that. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So whereas the chief characteristic of those who are, um, have no right to this claim is that there is a fleshly mindedness, the chief characteristic of those who can lay claim is that there is a spiritual mindedness. And we'll try to define that just a bit tonight. Um, what we're trying to do now, what we've done is describe those who have no right, what we're going to do tonight is describe those who do. What does the Christian look like, ladies and gentlemen? Well, the first thing that Paul says about them is that those uh, who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Gang, um, the Christian is not merely a man who no longer does certain things that he used to do. Uh, A Christian is not one who has simply said no to a certain set of behaviors like, well, he doesn't he doesn't smoke and he doesn't uh, drink and he doesn't do those things. Thus, he is a Christian, nor is a Christian defined by the things that he's against. You know, I've said this in here before. I'd like to say it again, if I might. Um, I know there are those who are probably here tonight who disagree with what I'm. What, um, uh, what I'm about to say, but um, in, in, in trying to reach a non-Christian world, ladies and gentlemen, the thing that comes to their minds in terms of defining a Christian is that those Christians are people who don't do certain things and they're against certain things and they're for other things. And so we're supposed to be against a certain set of behaviors if you're a Christian. And, and I'm sure there's truth to that. But, but my point is, I don't want to be known for what I'm against. I want to be known by what I'm for. Um, Yes, I am against certain things, but I don't want that to become the definition of the essence of what I am. I want to be known for what I'm for. And what what the Christian, the first thing that Paul uses is that they have a mindedness, that they set their minds on things of the Spirit. More has happened to me than just... Some kind of moral reform. More has happened to me than just my changing certain behaviors. Well, I used to drink and cuss, but I don't do that no more because I'm a Christian. That, that is not, uh, 
that is not the appropriate New Testament definition of what a child of God is, ladies and gentlemen. We're not just merely uh, a new set of behaviors. And we're not just uh, uh, belong to a new political party who is against a new slate of social ills. The first thing that characterizes us is that we are people who live under the governance of the Holy Spirit of God. That's who we are. Do you happen to be opposed to this, that? I'm glad you are. But primarily, ladies and gentlemen, we as God's people live under the governance of the Holy Spirit. We live according to the Spirit. It is a life consistent with and regulated by the Holy Spirit's influence in our life. Um, These things... That are, that are, that Paul says, the things of the Spirit. Well, the things of the Spirit are the things to which the Holy Spirit draws attention. That's the things that we set our minds to and on. The things that the Holy Spirit has, has um, directed our attention to. That's the things that we find filling our consciousness. What matters most to this man is his soul. That's the thing that's the forefront in his mind, the, the maintenance and the health of his soul. I want you to, to leave your Bibles open in Romans 8, but I want you to see what I think is a, just a very illustrative, very descriptive passion, uh, passage in Colossians chapter 3. Can you find that real quick? Colossians chapter 3, because this is, I think, hopefully descriptive of what I'm trying, or explanatory of what I'm trying to say. Let me read you four verses out of Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you were raised with Christ, if you're in Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. That's what the things, that, that, that's the things I'm pursuing. Those things that, uh, you know, um, up there where Jesus is, you know. Keep reading. Set your minds. On things above, <clears throat> not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ is who our life appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Look at that verse 2, guys. I don't know how it could become much clearer. The person who has a right to believe that they're living their lives under no fear of condemnation is a person whose mind is set on things above. His, his, his foremost priority is the health and well-being of his soul, both now and forever. That's his concern. It's, it's those things that interest him. It's those things that, um, that, that, that he desires. It's those things that, 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 that he's pursuing. It's in those things that he finds pleasure. Those things from, in a, from above. Those things bring him joy. Those things bring him delight. Those are his pursuits. If you, if you like this term better, in terms of his value system. It's those things that impinge upon the soul that he finds the most important. He's a, he's a person with a spiritual mind. Not that he's always thinking about religion. 
But in terms of his, of the direction of his pursuits, the direction of his desires, the, the direction of his, um, of his, uh, of his values, there, there are things above, ladies and gentlemen. That's where he finds his pleasure. He's a man who wants his relationship to, uh, with God to be, to be healthy now and to be healthy later. You know, you know, and please don't misunderstand me. It's not that we do these things perfectly. It's not that, that um, our, our entire value system is, is perfectly aligned with that of the spirits. But you do, this person does really have an appetite. The things that he really longs for, things of the spirit, ladies and gentlemen. The, the things that the spirit draws his attention to are beginning to take over in terms of his whole value system. You know, I've said to you before that, um, and, and I, I think I can continue to say this um, just as truthfully, my favorite verse in the Scriptures is Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That text doesn't say, blessed are they who are in possession Blessed are they who live perfectly righteously. But blessed is that man whose hunger and his thirst is for righteousness. You know, ladies and gentlemen, there are a lot of things that you can fault me about, and they would all be true. But I can tell you, let me just give you an example. This is my favorite one because everybody knows this is untrue about me. Um, You know, humility. Oh, yeah, we know that. He doesn't have any of that. Um, and and I, I deserve that. But I can tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, whereas I may not be in possession of much of that stuff, it is absolutely beautiful to me, and I long for it. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst for righteousness, because those are the things that are important to us. The, the, the mind is set on things above. Those things are beautiful. Those things have become my preoccupation. Those things are the things that I invest in. And I'm not talking about your blasted money. We invest our, our efforts at, in pursuit of. That's what this man is like. You know, the other guy, he's got a, he, he has a lot of a devotion of his mind. Yeah, it's all, it's all flesh, but not this fella. He's one who lives according to the Spirit, under the governance of the Spirit, a life lived in accordance with the Spirit. And, and he minds, he minds the things of the Spirit, the things to which the Spirit draws attention. Those are the things that occupy me. What a wonderful description of a believer. You know, I, I tell you, in the South, here in the book of the Bible Belt, I, I don't think they have the foggiest notion as to who we are. Because they have assumed that those people are, they vote Republican, they hate homosexuals, um, and they, they're pretty much against abortion, at least most of them, and they, 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 they don't drink much, they drink a little, but not much, you know. And um, uh, they don't do that stuff, and they don't do it. And that's a Christian. Ladies and gentlemen, that is completely absent from what Paul's describing here. It's never, none of that stuff's even mentioned. I'll tell you what is mentioned. He describes a man whose life is lived under the governance of the Spirit. That's who we are. That's the thing that describes us, ladies and gentlemen. 
And then verse 6. Um, For to be carnally minded is death. We talked about that. Both a, a spiritual and an eternal death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. I love that statement, ladies and gentlemen. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. The, the Christian has a mind that's set on the things of the Spirit, and it's set on the things of the Spirit because he's not dead, he's alive. The reason that his mind is set on the things of the Spirit is that he's been brought to life by the Spirit. Um, I, I did want to... Well, Paul adds a word here in verse 6 that for him is the summary of the Christian's new life. And that word is peace. You know, why not love? Why not joy? You know? Um, I, I can't answer for sure, but I know this. In Judaism, even today, peace. You know, you've heard of shalom. It's, um, it's, it's peace that was so important to Paul. Um, and it is the it is the contradistinction. It is the, it is the opposite of hostility. Remember that, that description of the, the non-Christian? He's hostile, but not the, not, the, not the Christian man. He's at peace. Peace is a thing that characterizes his life. Peace is a summary of who he is. Um, he, he, he's a man that, you know, there's, a, there's dozens of these statements, but I just, I'm going to read you one real quick one. Um, this is John 6, verse 54. You don't need to turn, but it says, Jesus says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has. Not might have, not will have, not someday will, is going to get. It, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has. Has present possession. He has eternal life. You got it, my brother and sister in Christ. It's yours right now. You, it's all yours. It's, it's one of those dimensions of being at peace. You know, I, I've often wondered, well, how in the world could that peace describe you if you don't have a sense of certainty that this is true of you? How can you possibly describe yourself as being at peace when you're not certain that this no condemnation is yours? You know, I I think of entire denominations, ladies and gentlemen, the the Roman Catholic Church, for instance, will not allow its adherents to, to lay hold of confidence about their soul. How could they call that peace? I couldn't call that peace. Wondering whether I was right or everything was okay. In fact, I, 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 maybe Brent could correct me, but I, I think even the Assembly of God won't, will, not, will, will not allow you to enjoy the, the beauties of eternal security. Well, guys, this, this light, um, uh, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You know, I can't imagine something that is more miserable for a man than to be at war with God. But there is nothing more blessed than to be at peace with God. 
we people who live under the governance of the Spirit, we have peace. We're at peace, ladies and gentlemen. That's a beautiful, wonderful word. Before we became Christians, we fought against the law of God. We didn't, you know, we thought we knew better than that thing. That thing kind of was awfully restrictive. But the moment we became Christians, that fight ended. And there was peace. Gang, I would say to you that one of the prized possessions of every one of you ought to be the possession of peace. And I'm not saying that that can't be interrupted from time to time when dark clouds form over your, your home. But underneath, there is a sense that there is everything right with my soul. You know, I, I said a few minutes ago um, that I, I don't ever want to be considered a Christian because I'm opposed to certain things. Or that I don't do certain things. And... Um, I, 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 I want to be known as a Christian because there is a, there is a governor to my life that does change. And that governor, if that governor is governing in my life, one of the things that, I, that is to be mine is peace. Listen to this. Listen to this statement. Don't turn here. Listen to this. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. <laughs> that other group that we were describing, they're like the troubled sea. Can't you just see that? A raging sea. Well, That's what they're like, but that ought to be what you're like or what we're like. There ought to be a, a, a settled peace. Such that we can drink deeply from this promise of no condemnation. You know, you've heard this before. Um, it's famously, I mean, it's often quoted because it's so wonderfully said. It was, um, it was said by Augustine who said that thou hast made us for thyself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. But once they found that rest, <laughs> there's peace. Yeah. Do you remember those days? Do you remember the days of restless hearts? A life of sin is a life of dissatisfaction, ladies and gentlemen. It's a life of disappointment. It's a life of, of never or ever seeking but never finding. But once the Spirit brings us to life, it's that sin that we so hate now. Our minds are drawn to the things of the Spirit, and we learn to hate what we used to love. I heard a man tell a story just recently about he, um, he, had, he had one son. He was a 14-year-old boy, and he had a, the boy had great promise, looked like he had a great future. And, and he came home one day, and his son's head was blown off, and there by his dead body was a shotgun. And he had... He had um, his son had killed it, had taken his own life with a shotgun. And, of course, the father was in immense grief, and the, the crime scene people had to come in, and they took the, uh, the, the shotgun because it had to, 
they had to examine it or, you know, prove that he wasn't murdered or something like that. And so they had to do all their little, you know, CSI stuff. And uh, once they had done the CSI stuff and they, they uh, gave him the shotgun back, he took that shotgun and he went down to the river and he threw it into the river and said, I hate that shotgun. You know, sins like that, ladies and gentlemen, there used to be something that we used to clutch, but not now. That life was one of dissatisfaction in a stormy and raging sea. But having discovered the free offer of Christ Jesus, the sea's going to calm down. And there's peace. That ought to describe us, ladies and gentlemen. It ought to be that. The Christian life is, our, our Christians are people who, they're like people who are living in the eye of a storm. When everything else is swirling around you and there's turbulence, but inside that eye, there's a, there's a, um, there's a calm. Gang, that's what he says about us. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And then verses really 7 and 8 describe that other guy. But that's, that's really the, the extent of the description of the, of the Christian. He is a man who lives under the governance of the Spirit. And as a result of, him having, of his having done so, there is, there is a peace that characterizes him. You know, some of us remember those days when there was no peace. I don't know if you've been a Christian so long that you've forgotten those days. I, don't, I haven't. I, I've, I've told you this story before, but if you've never heard it, it's a, it's a fairly decent story. And, um, but um, let me tell this and I'll, and I'll quit. But <clears throat> Susie and I were engaged to be married on July the 2nd of 1970. And, and um, um, I was graduating from UT. And back then we graduated late. I mean, we were in quarters and, and um, we graduated, I think, like June the 8th. And I didn't even go to my graduation because I... Um, uh, I mean, I, I graduated, but <laughs> I didn't go to the ceremony because I had to get a job because I was marrying Susie, you know, and she is, uh, she is uh, high maintenance. Uh, <laughs> that, that's not true. Uh, but um, anyway, so you know what you do at the, you know, when you're, when you're graduating college and you, you interview for jobs and you, you go to the place, at least we did back then, this was in 60, this was in 70. Um, you, you go to the placement office and you've got all these companies that are coming to town and, and um, you, you sign your name up for a little appointment and you, and you go and interview with these people because you're trying to get a job. Because, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to get a job, you know, and, and uh, be a responsible liver and pay taxes and, you know, buy a boat and, and you know, manicure your lawn and, and then pay a mortgage. And that's what you're supposed to do. And so uh, anyway. So I was interviewing um, several places and uh, one of the places that uh, that. Uh, flew me down for an interview was a bank in Atlanta, the CNS Bank, um, that became very famous during the presidency of Jimmy Carter. But, but anyway, uh, CNS Bank flew me down, and I, and, and I want to say it was in May. I'm not sure exactly, but it, it was, it was kind of warm, so it seemed like it was in May. We, I was going to get married in two months, you know, and I was going to graduate, and, you know, I was going to be on the, the real world and have a real wife and, and, you know, have to have a real job and, and all that stuff. Um, it was, it's kind of daunting, you know. Um, it's kind of traumatizing to think, gosh, I, you know, all I had to do was I got off three months in the summer and, uh, you know, I had to go to class and, you know, study a little bit. But, man, now this is really serious. So um, um, I, um, I, I know I've told you this story uh, about 
sitting with the, uh, the, the bank shrink, and I'm not gonna, I won't repeat that to you, uh, but the bank psychologist, and, and he finally analyzed me that I wasn't a communist. And so uh, after that uh, interchange, they took me in another office, and somebody who was an uppity-up um, offered me a job. And um, they offered me that job and said, we need to know something by June 1 or May the 30th. I, I don't know. But, you know, they gave me a deadline to let them know something. Here's the job offer. Here's how much you will, will pay you. And we need to know something by such and such a date. And, um, uh, you know, all, most of the interviews had taken place out uh, down Peachtree Street, out in kind of the... I don't know, suburbs of Atlanta. But after lunch, we ate lunch in the, the suburbs. But after lunch, they brought me downtown to the headquarters, you know, where all the, where the, where the, where the shrinks were. <laughs> and um, so, you know, they offered me that job, and, and um, my, my flight went back to, uh, flew back to Knoxville, but it didn't, it didn't take off till about 9 o'clock that night. Um, and so it was about 3.30 in the afternoon, um, and they offered me this job, and they shook my hand, and they showed me the door. Let us, let us hear from you in two weeks. And, uh, you know, we hope to hear from you, but uh, see you later. And they jumped me out on the streets of Atlanta. You know, 3.30, 4 o'clock, rush hour, lots of people, you know, you know, just crowded sidewalks, lots of traffic. And here I was, a 22-year-old punk who had a fiancé, uh, needed a job, um, the Vietnam War was still going, and, and I was going to play a part in some of that, uh, I thought. And um, they shoved me out on the streets, and um, I did something um, after about, about 4 o'clock in 1970 that I had never done in my life before. I had never done this. You know, I, you know I, I'm not to say that I, was, uh, I, I went to the SAE frat parties and drank milk. I didn't. Uh, but I wasn't a big drinker. Um, I was pretty much wild and crazy enough without it. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't consume a whole lot of alcohol. I, I, uh, I, I kept that industry in positive figures. But uh, anyway, but they shoved me on the street, and here I am in my little three-piece suit and my tie, and I'm walking up and down, and I didn't know a soul in Atlanta. And, you know, this, this was all just flooding in on me about, I got to get married, I got to get out more, I got to get a job, I got to that, 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 that. And, um, and so there I am walking down whatever the main street is in Atlanta, and I walked into a bar, a sleazy bar. I mean, it was, just a, it was just a little hole in the wall. It wasn't as big as that stage. And, you know, just a door was open and there's, there's some people in there. And, and I, I sat down at the bar and, and they had those little fish things like we give to your kids. Um, and, and they had those little fish things sitting in the bowl. And, and, um, and the bartender walked up to me and said, uh, what can I get you? And I thought... I've never done this before. I don't even know how to order a drink, but I, you know, I, I figured out something. Well, give me one of those, you know. And, and uh, so he bought me a drink. And I sat at a bar stool in a bar in downtown Atlanta and ate silly little fish and drank some kind of alcoholic beverage. Because, ladies and gentlemen, there wasn't a smidgen of peace in my soul. I still remember those days. I remember thinking, what am I going to do for four hours before this? I, I'm going to end up in jail if I stay in this place. 
Because there, the soul was so restless. Remember those days? Well, ladies and gentlemen, the Spirit brought us to life. And when He did, one of His great kindnesses to us is that He pours balm on the soul. Those who are carnally minded are hostile to God, but those who live according to the Spirit, there is life and peace. I hope you have that. I got that. And I treasure it. It's, a, it's something that ought to be all of ours. Our Father, I do pray that you will uh, remind us of the great privileges of being who we are. Not because we were smarter than the rest of the world. Not because we were... Um, that we, we, we figured something out when the rest of the world just is too stupid to figure it all out. No, Father... It is that we have been found by sovereign grace. And we glory in the the great benefits of having come from a, a world where it indeed resembled a troubled sea. And now there is there is a great enjoyable measure of peace within our souls. Father, there's not, a, there's not a dollar value that we could ever put on that. As much as we want to make big money, I'm not sure any of us in this room would exchange that peace for whatever money would be offered us. We thank you, O oh God, for granting to the soul a quietude a rest, and a promise that those who are spiritually minded, living a life governed by the Spirit, can be confident that there will never, ever, ever be any condemnation to await them. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for accomplishing that on our behalf. We pray all of this in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.